SMQBs, episode 27. We are down a milk. We are up an Elise. That's right. We have a special Olympics correspondent tonight. We talk tons of Olympics. Simone Biles, get into the MLB trade deadline. We do not talk winners and losers at the trade deadline. Formula One drama, punchable face of the week, and Ted Lasso. Check it out. Share it with a friend. Have fun. It's fun. SMQBs, episode 27. This is the night we all kill each other if it's going to happen. Hey, House, 26 episodes. We've talked shit about the, the Philadelphia sports scene, mostly the Eagles, to start all 26 of them. But, you know, tonight, tonight I'm going to let it pass because oh, – I'm trying to pour myself half No, a no, no. You're, you're off the hook tonight because the Philly sports scene is such a fucking mess that I even feel <laughs> it So – we're just going to move right I, now. I feel badly. Here's a little, let's have a little toast to house. Poor Wentz is fucking them from another city, for God's sakes. Unbelievable. Uh, poor one out. Unbelievable. Remarkable. Poor one out, right, for poor out for old Wentzy. You were right, Toby. Wentz is wonderful. We love Wentz. This is great. <laughs> might be my favorite Poor Carson. <laughs> poor Carson and his toe. Feels so mm. bad for him. <laughs> By so the way, it's, uh, the, it's the curse of the unvaccinated. Go ahead. We we've got uh, we've got an interesting lineup tonight. We're down we're down a man. Milk is um, recovering from the bar exam, so we're down. Milk, we miss you, buddy. Um, feel better, buddy. Be soon, feel better. But we have our um, Olympic correspondent here with us to kick things off tonight. The Olympics are such a big deal that this podcast group could not cover them on their own, as we were told by our correspondents. So this is a special segment called simply Olympics with Elise. Elise from honored. Walnut Creek. Yes, I am very honored to be here. And um, I appreciate you all letting me join you tonight because after last week's podcast, I sent you all a scathing text saying that I did not feel that it was right the way that you were treating the Olympics and wanted to be heard on the subject. So I appreciate the opportunity to be heard. I think it was um, multiple texts. It wasn't it was, just it was it multiple was, texts. It was multiple. It was multiple texts. There were a few insults my... thrown in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> there were a few insults. Um, I know that you were the leading candidate for, for punchable face of the week for a moment there, but we think we think we're going to be okay. That's what happens I, when I, you speak up. We put you on the pod. Right. Well, I'm, I'm glad to do it. And there's not a lot of topic, sports topics other than, you know, my, my homers that I could 
um, really talk about with with any intelligence. So I'm glad to be speaking on the Olympics. Um, one thing that I have, one advantage that I have, and I've realized over all of you, is my time zone with this Olympics. And and really, it has. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking that. You guys are disadvantaged. Everyone actually in this country, aside from the Pacific time zone, really is at a disadvantage in this Olympics because of the location of where they're where they're at. So, you know, with it being in Tokyo and the and how late it is on the East Coast, by the time things are really getting started each day, I have the benefit that when I'm getting done with the end of my day, I'm watching most of this stuff live. And that's a big difference to be able to do. Um, you know, the other night, um, you all know Pat, Matt, my husband, um, stayed up and was able to watch the end of the golf, um, Olympics golf. You know, it ended at 1 a.m. here, but imagine trying to do that on the East Coast. It's not even really a possibility. So, you know, on the weekends, we we pretty much have the Olympics on, on multiple televisions going on around the house. When I'm working from home, I've got them on when we're eating lunch, we're watching them. And so it gives you a different perspective of being able to see things instead of just watching the primetime coverage. So I'm going to give you all a pass because of the advantages that I have for living in California. Um, so that's number one. Um, and so well, that's not enough time, time on the Olympics. What are we, uh, let's move right on. <laughs> all right. Next sounded like a shout out for California, basically. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I can go off on the San Francisco Bay Area teams, but I will leave that to another another guest um, visit on this podcast. Now, I, I really do want to talk about some the reason that I love the Olympics so much, and I think that it really does, even in this um, in the setting where we're having such a different Olympic experience, why I continue to watch things all the time, and why I think that um, we need to we need to think of it in more of a positive light. And I, I want to start with the fact that despite that there's no fact and fans in the stands, I personally haven't missed them. I really haven't. I think there's some what? sports that get, I know, I know it's crazy talk, but the, the sports that you guys probably watch more, which are where there's a little bit of professional um, overlap um, are ones that I do think get affected by not having people in the stands. The, the, you know, the large stadium crowds that really can make a difference. But when you're watching things like um, even gymnastics or watching, uh, watching some of the, I like to call fringe sports, you know, there are things that I've watched on these Olympics that I probably wouldn't have watched in any other Olympics because it doesn't really make a difference if there's fans there or not. One thing, canoeing. I, I watched I watched canoeing semifinals. You did? Canoeing. You semifinals? did? Yes. yes. What the hell is wrong canoeing with you? Semifinals. Get a life. I don't know because what is wrong with you? Elise, can I send you a case to work on? Yes. <laughs> wow. Maybe you need to get That's out of the house time. and start working at the office a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, part of part of the problem is is that I have a little too much free time on my hands because my case that was supposed to start trial today got um, removed from federal court. So no trial. So I, I got Olympics. Uh, I got Olympic fever. So th these were people just take, my taking the paddle, just taking the paddle on canoeing in the ocean yeah. or whatever. So who, who here can, can tell me the difference between canoeing and kayaking? Canoe is uh, open and kayak is enclosed. Your, your legs are under the, uh, in, within the hull of the kayak and you, and you have a paddle that has 
one one on each end. Canoe is only one paddle. That is that is the on the end. That is the major difference. Is the is the one paddle on the end versus the dual paddle. I got another one. So I I think in canoeing, your your body's above water. In kayaking, it's it's below the water line. Isn't that right? Well, it's interesting. So the way that they do the canoeing, the single canoeing, they're actually on one knee. Yeah, they're when kneeling they, when they compete. Yeah, when they it's compete very comfortable. in the canoeing, it looks it looks horribly uncomfortable, is what it looks like. But they um, they go very long distances, very fast with uh, one paddle. It's pretty interesting. So, Elise, but, let me ask you a question. Yeah. What are, what do you what are like the highlights of the Olympics that we might have missed? What's, so, what's been the fun stories that we missed? I think the fun stories. There's a lot of there's a lot of drama. We had drama today. Um, I'll, I'll get into the drama later. We've had a lot of drama since the last time you guys met as a podcast. Um, but the fun stuff, I don't know if any of you got a chance to watch our um, U.S. Olympic shot putter that won the silver medal. Um, she is a character. She's a huge, bigger, larger than life character. Her name is, um, hold on, I'm going to look it up because I got it right here in my notes. Um, um, she she actually, when, after she won, her name's Raven Saunders. And she, after she won the silver medal, they're interviewing the gold medal winner. And she's twerking behind the camera, <laughs> behind the gold medalist. It was absolutely hilarious. And then, and then I got to see her twerk this morning on the Today Show. I mean, she twerked on morning, U.S. morning television. It was awesome. She is just a full-on character. So seeing some of these people that we wouldn't otherwise um, have access to, you know, that we just wouldn't otherwise see, I think has been really great. There's also been um, a lot this uh, this Olympics of of Olympians that we didn't expect to really do well that have really stepped up. I mean, the women's the women's team. Um, you know, after Simone Biles dropped out because of the twisties and to see them step up in a really huge way and be able to win a silver medal and then to see some of the um, individual medals that are happening in the Olympic, you know, with Simone gone. Those are pretty amazing Who, stories. Who's going to be our breakthrough or our breakout star that suddenly we start seeing on TV and commercials and things that we wouldn't have expected? Right behind, right behind Caleb. house. Yeah. Caleb, Caleb Dressel, number one. Yeah. Number um, one. I think Su- Suni Lee um, is another one that will be a household. These are household names. Um, I think Caleb Dressel is, is going to make the biggest mark because I think coming off of uh, Michael Phelps' success that we had, we were really, you know, as, as, as U.S. swimming, I think we were really concerned, especially with Katie Ledecky's start, about, I think we lowered our expectations a lot and see him step up in such a huge way. And he's very, I don't know if you guys have seen him be interviewed, but he's very thoughtful and um, and very kind. You know, he's the one that after the relay when he walked up there and gave um, the the other teammate that wasn't in the finals with them his gold medal. I mean, it's he just seems like a stand up guy. I got to tell you that I mean that's that's nice, but unless he's riding that horse, 
that that was prancing along to the music. Did you guys all see this? The this coolest horse ever. Horse yep. ever to roam the earth. I don't give a f about Caleb Dressel. I want to <laughs> see that horse marketing hot dogs or something. I don't know. <laughs> Did anybody see that? That horse. That was awesome. Yeah, that was good. That's good. The horse. You got to go find the horse that can dance. I don't okay. have any idea what competition that was, what sport it was, or if it was just a, a, a warm up. Pope's I think it's dressage. <laughs> Pope's you're mute. No wonder he's been so quiet. The long, it's the oh my god! It's like fucking X Games, dancing horses. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad Pope got unmuted for that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I watched the surfing, skateboarding, uh, and dancing horses. That's what I every four years I want to see. I watched the uh, Olympic women's basketball game today, U.S. versus France, and there's a new young player called. Asia Wilson, who's a stud. She's she's I think she's gonna be a rising star out of this Olympics. We can't talk about the Olympics though without talking about the SMQB jinx that Pope dropped on the women's uh <laughs> soccer team. Yeah, twice what the oh, fuck. First oh, time job, in Pope. nine years. Well, but they're not playing won. for the gold. We had, well, we didn't play for the gold in 2016. That was Germany and Sweden. Um it is, uh, you know, they're a juggernaut off of the Olympiad, uh, but they can't get the World Cup and gold medal back to back. The elusive double double, uh, you know, the women's soccer team. I think they this this is a, the last time you'll see a lot of these players together. Carly Lloyd's thirty nine. She was really emotional after the loss. I think she knows it's over. Megan Rapinoe is getting older. Uh, even Alex Morgan. So I, I don't think, I mean, you might see him again in World Cup. Uh, By the way, action. the fact that Alex Morgan is getting older is really like a punch to the gut. <laughs> that that means we're ancient. Us, that means we're like, ancient. Because, yeah, <laughs> Good Lord. She's, she's been young for a long time as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, right. That is right. true. So yeah, no, Elise, it's a Elise, but to wrap up, to wrap up your special coverage, Elise, who, who's an athlete from outside the U S that we should all go or performance that, you know, putting the horse aside, um, uh, an athlete or performance other than an American that we should go Google and search for and, and watch. Um, my favorite. Um, and you, I think you'll all know immediately why was the um, the hundred meter winner from Italy, um, mm-hmm. who, by the way, was from born America. In yeah, born in El Paso. America. Yeah, but but what a story! And and you know, for me, I love to see if 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 USA is not going to succeed, I love to see Italy succeed. But that is not the hundred meter race is not a race that you expect Italy to take. That that's just it's just not. And he um, he did an amazing job. And you know, it and, it, and it, it it was it was a little different than our normal situation because I feel like anyone who wins that usually has the arrogance level that is like off the charts. And he just seemed like a pretty humble guy. I mean, did you guys did you watch the hundred meter? Did you see the beginning of it? It was like yeah. it was like a movie trailer how they started that thing. It's pretty ridiculous how different they treat that race compared to everything else in the Olympics. This guy was doping, right? I mean, that's the only way he 
Well, wait a second. Wait a second. I, Elise, I got to ask you this. I mean, you, you say this guy from Italy, but I, I, since you're the Olympic expert, does it not bother you? Like Rory Sabatini is from South Africa competing under the Slovakian flag. This dude that won the 100-meter race is a goddamn American that is competing under the Italian flag. Are we just like pulling the wool over the eyes of the viewers as to where these countries are, these people are really from. Isn't that a problem with the Olympics? Like really compete for the country. And if you can't qualify for your country, if that guy couldn't qualify in America, Roy Sabatini couldn't make it for South Africa then don't be in the Olympics. I don't know if I agree with that necessarily, Toby. And I think part of the reason is, is that we, um, we live in a country where we really identify where our home is and and I know it's a little bit different when we see people from the U.S. going and representing Puerto Rico um, or representing, you know, another country. Um, the reality is for, I think, home for a lot of people, especially when they have dual citizenship, is different than what you and I have experienced. And so I don't really, maybe there are times that people are trying to get in where they can't otherwise get in from their quote unquote home country. But I think a lot of this is identity of what you feel closely connected to representing. And, you know, Naomi Osaka is a great example. I I don't think she, she could have definitely qualified as a U.S. citizen, but it meant something very special to her and to her family for her to represent Japan. And look at how they embraced her and rewarded her with, you know, lighting the Olympic flame. I think there's something special sometimes about that choice, as well as others, you know, maybe it's not always the best of intentions. Yeah, I'm glad she lost for Japan, not America. (laughs) (laughs) Well, was the Italian... Was the Italian runner uh, unable to make the American team, or did he just chose to identify as Italian? I know he was born in El Paso, but I actually haven't researched to see whether or not, you know, where he spent most of his youth. I think I, it, I, that, I, make, that makes sense because we have a big Italian uh, uh, group in El Paso. No, but I think, it was, <laughs> I think it was an Italian woman who had a relationship with a guy in, in El Paso, and I believe she went back to Italy with her he he had no relationship with his father until a year and a half ago or so um I, I think but but just sticking on some of the fun parts of the olympics man one of the things that gets me are watching the families and their reactions more so than than almost the athletes like the, did you guys see that um the chicago bears one of their quarterbacks who's in training oh team, yeah yeah uh, yeah that was david cool. blau i guess is blau is that how you say it yeah his wife uh, Alyssa Gonzalez, oh, Gonzalez was um she qualified in one of the hurdle races for Columbus. The Lions? Was that the Lions? The, the Lions, you're right. I said yeah, the, yeah, right. Yeah. the Lions. Yes, sorry. And uh, uh she, you know, she was I don't think she was expected to win. Uh there was a hope that she would get out of her heat and get to the final. And the video of the team, first of all, the team all made a good luck video for her, which was pretty cool. And then watching the the team in the film room you know, a bunch of guys in there watching it and how nervous he was. I mean, here's a guy who's, you know, possibly on an NFL uh, roster, you know, definitely big time athlete, 
And he was so nervous that he was like biting his shirt. He could hardly jumped up and was just yelling at the screen. That kind of stuff to me is, is just yeah. as cool as any of it. And Suni, Suni Lee's family too, watching mm-hmm. her was really cool. And it's kind of neat to be able to see them um, in their living rooms. You know, a lot of them that didn't go to, I think it's North Carolina is where they were hosting the families. Um, you know, you're, you're seeing them in their living rooms. And I think that there's something really special about that too. And, and to have their communities around when they're, you know, cheering them on. I mean, look at Alaska, Alaska winning their very first medal ever. It's huge. It's great. I I agree with that. And I think you could also tell because they weren't able to be there in person, some of the emotion that poured out after these Olympians competed and won and then were able to connect with their families who they've been away from for so long and didn't have that support network there in Japan while they're training, the raw emotion that poured out was a pretty cool thing that you wouldn't otherwise see. So there were some definite silver linings to this kind of Olympics. Well, it's, it's don't you, not all go, go ahead. Pope. No, I was going to, don't you guys think, I mean, I, I say it every four years. I'm like, I'm not going to get sucked into the Olympics and inevitably I, or every two years, inevitably I get sucked in and it, what sucks me in is not like the, the professionals who are trying to get gold, you know, it's the amateurs. It's like, this is their one chance that they'll ever have potentially to, you know, to meddle and to, to make a name of themselves and to justify the years of training that they did. And, you know, you have to give it to NBC or whoever's covering the Olympics. They always, they know how to pull the, the tug, the heartstrings and they give you the stories. I mean, to me, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but to me, that's, that's what the Olympics is about. And that's how I always get sucked in and, you know, Unlike house, I do sleep at night, and so I don't watch, you know, the the uh, uh, canoeing or the badminton or the the Olympic uh, the soccer. Um, but I always get sucked in, and no matter. I, I was hoping to get sucked in, but maybe it is because of the time zone. I've watched. This is the least amount of Olympics. Yeah, me too. That I've watched, and, and I'm disappointed in myself. But I, I and I gotta say, like the app, the Olympics app sucks mm-hmm. you can't find anything on it it's impossible wow. to figure out when something's happening what channel it's on i mean really i, I think that i i don't think the olympics um were presented well uh and and certainly if you talk about digital and how that you know how that should have been coming right at us in so many different mediums and different forms i think it's been terrible you know so i think that's why i've missed stuff so should be a good time to the think. Op- Go ahead. Oh, Sorry. hold on. But uh, being the optimist in the group, I want to point something out um, that was new on this Olympics. But have you guys watched any of the coverage um, that Snoop's been doing? Yes. Um, it is. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I mean, I got to hand it to Comcast for giving them a show. It has been absolutely hilarious. And I think it's drawing in even more people that maybe wouldn't otherwise be watching. So they've done some things right. I think some of the, some of the challenges I'm going to blame on the pandemic because they couldn't cut as much B-roll as they usually do. You know, they couldn't go and visit people and do as much stuff as they usually do. So I think, you know, we should talk about though, there, there's definitely, look, I think we all know there's a lot of excitement and a lot of good and, and there's great stories in the Olympics, but there's also been some controversy and some, um, some really sort of hard topics uh, that have come up and and have really 
you know, been some of the biggest news making parts of the Olympics and, and particularly um, Simone Biles story. Um, Elise, do you want to sort of tee that up for us since this is the Olympics with Elise segment? Yeah. Part two. Yeah. Um, so Simone Biles, uh, America's sweetheart and our one number one person to watch and really the focus of the Olympics for discussion for the last two years, if not four um, or five, really, um, had to pull out, uh, chose to pull out of the Olympics um, because of uh, the twisties. She um, performed some during the um, overall, the the team, sorry, excuse me, the, the team competition and was performing very poorly. No one really knew what was going on um, while it was going on live. Um, they thought maybe she was physically injured. Um, then there was some discussion after she, after they announced that she was not going to compete any further, that um, that maybe it was uh, a, a mental or emotional issue. And then as the week has progressed, and of course the media has focused nonstop every single moment on the story, um, it, it has come out that she has what is called the twisties, which is um, essentially a gymnast can lose their kind of think of it like losing your balance, but they they lose their ability to be able to tell up from down and side from side. Yeah, and, they, they lose their awareness of where they are in the air. Spatial yeah. disorientation. Yep. Yes, yes. And, um, and that's what Simone has been battling with and um, continues to battle with. But we did get some good news today that uh, she is going to be competing in the individual beam exercises. Um, that was the last thing that she, it's going to be the last uh, individual performance. And uh, they did announce today that she feels that she's up for doing that. And so really what, what I would suggest to the listeners and to you all to watch out for is, um, most of that routine that she does, she can do even if she has the twisties. The dismount is going to be the true test because that's really the only time that the twisties would would um, affect her performance. So, which by the way is on tomorrow at four ten a.m. Eastern time. Oh, that's only two o'clock and at least yeah. time. Yeah, right. or no, one o'clock. So one o'clock. you guys so, will be up. So I was I was looking into the difficulty of some of the vault work that she does she's the only woman who attempts this one um, vault move called the yurshenko double pike which basically starts out doing a round off into the takeoff board a back handspring onto the horse and then a double somersault in like the greg luganus pike position in the air and she gets way up there so imagine doing that above a vaulting horse and not knowing if you're up or down because you know, if the danger is you land on your neck or your head and paralyze yourself, there's only a couple of men who even try this and she is the only woman. So for, for people to kind of question her toughness for pulling out of these things, I think is kind of disgusting. I mean, well, she, she's got nothing to prove. She's already the goat. But that's the dark side of this story. It's not yeah. just a story about an athlete who's having a hard time. I mean, House, you saw some of the comments out there, right, about, I guess it was Pierce Morgan, that fucking douchebag, 
Um, tell us a little bit what he said and, and kind of what he stirred up because he's not the only one, unfortunately. Oh, you got that fucking Clay Travis, you know, redneck guy who thinks he's now the conservative sports dude. Well, this is what we talked about on the pod a couple of weeks ago. That's a real shame what is happening in the sports world. Sports has gone from the uniter of everything to now being an opportunity to further divide. And so we've reached a point with sport that it's black versus white, it's right versus wrong. There's either one side or the other side. And so a lot of folks, when they heard that Simone Biles had pulled out before, by the way, most of the criticism became came before we then found out what was going to happen from the team competition or what was going to happen from the individual all around. It was kind of now these were, this was something that belonged to America and belonged to the people. And she's taking it away from her. She's a quitter. She uh, deprived somebody else, the opportunity to compete by doing that. Mm -hmm. So these were all of the kinds of things. And if you can't handle the pressure, you can't take the heat, Stay out of the kitchen was the kind of commentary. Yeah. Like you knew what you were signing up for when you signed up for the Olympics. And she's weak. It also came on the heels of the Osaka withdrawal from the Open. And so it was kind of building on that sentiment of, you know, you need to, mental issues are, no, are not an excuse for pulling out. You need to tough it out oh. and, and but, but, finish but the job. The, here's the thing that I hope comes out of this, and I hope we get a wider discussion on this. Sports and the competition belongs to the people that are competing in them. While we can take civic pride or be happy about a win or sad for a defeat, ultimately the people who perform are the ones who have the victories or the defeats. And the whether it's being a jerk-off dad screaming at your kid playing on the field and trying to control the outcome from the stands at a Little League game, or whether it's being a right-wing commentator saying that Simone Biles is a quitter and a disgrace to the United States because she's weak. This isn't – these people on the field are not performing for you. They're not like these like little performance – like frankly, slaves that belong to the people in the stands. They are competing for themselves, for their pride, and yes, for the country. But that's what really disappointed me, really, and reading a lot of the commentaries. They're not performing for us. They're performing for themselves, and we can take pride in their accomplishments. Simone Biles has 25 medals in world championship uh, events. She's got the most uh, individual medals in one single Olympics. She's got absolutely nothing to prove to these idiots. And they act like they get to determine her legacy. It's up to them to decide what her legacy is. She could care less what they think, and she shouldn't. Well, you know, part of Simone Biles' legacy, though, is, and you talk about the dark side, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if you guys, the New York Times Daily podcast uh, really dived into the um, the layers of what's going on with Simone. I mean, remember, guys, she was part of the Larry Nasser uh, Olympic doctor uh, molestation group and was one of the ones that uh, uh, was involved in that. And she's the last standing American gymnast who was involved in that. And she 
made it a point to make the Olympics again this year because she wanted that story to be told. And she wanted the IOC and the United States Olympic Committee to to own it. Um, I guarantee you that that is part of the mental makeup of what's going on with with Simone and her lack of focus has probably led her to the twisties. And all these conservative commentators who are so quick to uh, you know, blame her and call her weak and a quitter, they don't have a fucking clue what she and all these other women and girls had to go through and that that was empowered and enabled by the U.S. Olympic Committee uh, and their doctors and their, uh, you know, the coaches. And so for, for them to sit, you know, in the armchair quarterback and a- accuse her of being quit, of being a quitter and weak, um, it just doesn't stand the test. And it's, and it's pathetic. So they should and be ashamed Pope, of themselves. Pope, you make another good point there, too. And, and it's not you, you're not being dismissive, but these are girls, right? These are in a lot of instances, these are not young women, even these are really young, young kids who are particularly in gymnastics, right? They are young, young kids who are doing this. And, you know, this, this part about the gutting it out, toughing it through, um, there was a lot of, you know, the instant reaction was to carry uh, Strug, who, who, of course, everybody remembers, you know, twisted her ankle and, and her coach, you know, Bella Caroli, who's, who's also a pig, you know, kind of bullied her, bullied her, right. Bella and Marta. He had bullied her for so long that he didn't have to actually bully her at that time, but he did. He bullied her to go back out there, and she jumped and had this very dramatic jump and landing, and, she, and the, the women won gold. And, of course, her jump didn't mean anything because they had already won the gold mm-hmm. at that point. They didn't need her to do it. But everybody has, has kind of instantly compared Simone to her. And, you know, it's really disappointing because – what, what people don't understand is the risk that these kids, I mean, again, they're kids, put themselves at. And, and there's a name that I have to give credit to to my cousin who on a softball team is known as E6 uh, and his wife, Randy. And they are, they are uh, uh, frequent listeners. But the name is Elena Mukina. And I don't know if, if anybody remembers that, but Elena was a young Soviet gymnast. And she was pushed and pushed and pushed uh, to the point where she actually had a fracture in her leg. And I'm probably going to get some of the details wrong here, but but it's, it doesn't matter. The, she was forced to do a jump that was incredibly dangerous. And she didn't nail the landing. And she landed on her chin and shattered her, her vertebrae and her spine. Mm-hmm. And she ended up with paraplegic. And uh, the Soviets... Um, they really hid the whole story because they didn't want it to look badly on the program. She ended up dying at about the age of 46 mm-hmm. uh, due to complications from her paraplegia. But that sort of gutted out, you know, be it, be, you know, be tougher than everybody else in sports. And, and listen, that's kind of where I come down on things too. I mean, you know, I, that, that, that was how I was, I came up playing sports and most people on here probably did too, but it's an interesting conversation now and good for Simone to, to be the one who said, you know what, this is not safe for me, and I don't have to answer to anyone else, like right. you all are saying. Right. Uh, first, so, so good for her. And she yeah, that, started that, the conversation. That first example you gave, Suggs, was it? That, Carrie Strug. Carrie Strug. Competing on that bad leg cut short her career. Sure. sure. It did. 
I mean, I, she was just talking about that uh, today, as a matter of fact. And she she was very supportive of Simone. She came yeah. out and tweeted and said, you got this. And I mean, very supportive. They, all of the women, to their credit, have been. Yeah, very much so. I, I don't know if you all have know, know this, but um, some, because of Simone, uh, the Crowley Ranch was shut down because yeah. she was yeah. she came out and said, that she cannot return, could not return to that ranch after she had been abused there. And that changed the world for U.S. gymnasts in the future. Um, it really did. And it and hopefully it's a safer world because of that. And Brian, I think you're right. I don't think you can ever, um, you can't ever be the same after sexual abuse. Um, the type of sexual abuse that she experienced. You know, we represent a lot of clients that have gone through similar things to what um, Simone and the other gymnasts have. And it's it's forever changing. And especially to be under the spotlight that, that she's under and um, to try to do all of it. Um, I, I can't even imagine. She is, she. I agree, going back to what Phelan said, she is the GOAT. She will always be the GOAT. She, in so many ways, and I look forward to seeing what she does in the future, because I really think there's a place for her in coaching and protecting these young girls in the future to watch her on the sidelines and see what she does has been really um, awesome. And it would be great if she had a walk the walk off, drop the mic vault tonight and or beam tonight and got the gold. Yeah. I think no matter what, I think, I think once she competes at all, I think she uh, puts a lot of her doubters to rest that you, you know, she did it on her own terms, dealt with her mental health, dealt with her twisties and was able to come back. You know, if you, to Elise was talking about um, just the whole Caroli nightmare um, and what so many of these girls went through. We've, we've brought this up before, but check out um, the 30 for 30 on this, the 30 for 30 podcast. It's season seven which is like a seven episode series called heavy metals uh, all about the Corollis, the Corolli ranch and really the mental and physical abuse these girls go through. It's a great listen. So Elise, when is uh, we got to move on to the next topic? When is, what do we have another week of the Olympics? Yes. Yeah. All right. So keep watching. If uh, you big know. track and field stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Watching. And which is more, exciting. We've, we've more got dancing horses. So <laughs> let's let's move on to um, because there was a lot of sports news this week. Um, in addition to the Olympics, some of it people actually paid attention to. The MLB trade deadline um, was beyond active this year. Perhaps the most active we've had in in quite some time. We had ten All Stars, ten guys who played in the All Star game this year, change teams. That's a record. That's a record. In one day. I mean, we were texting and we're like, oh, can you believe? Oh, can you? No, he didn't. I mean, one day it was unbelievable movement. So, so the, you know, the, look, the, the, the popular topic is winners and losers, right? Do we talk winners and losers? I mean, I think we all know that the Giants are a loser in this situation. uh, (laughs) Wow. Paying attention. I knew it. I knew she wasn't paying attention. So, but look, I don't. We don't have time. Are you are you going to defend them, Elise? No. I will always defend my G men. 
always. Do you, do you think they're going to make the playoffs? Yes, I think they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> I don't think we have time to cover all the winners and losers in baseball this week, but I, I want to just ask a quick question just so we touch on this. Look, there are teams out there that made moves because they're close-ish, right? I mean, like, in fact, three of you on this call, the Yankees, the Giants, and the Phillies all made moves and gave up prospects. Yay or nay on that? I mean, they're, they're, those teams are probably not winning the World Series um, because of the moves they made. I guess probably the, the Giants probably do have the best chance of those teams, although they got the, – unfortunately, they're a victim of what other teams in their division did right. um, that are going to probably block them from winning it. But, but you know, how do you feel? House, how do you feel about the Phillies making a move that, I don't know, was it that exciting or does it just feel like they did something to do something? I mean, our our bullpen is so abysmal. They had to do something uh, to even have any prayer of competing with the Mets. And so picking up Ian Kennedy, uh, I think, was good. And we don't have either really a starter number four or five. Um, and one of the guys that they were trying out to to fill the fourth or fifth spot was this prospect Spencer Howard? Did they give up too early on him to get Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy from the Rangers? I guess time will tell. But look, they're only they were at the time only three and a half back from the Mets. They feel like the Mets were gettable, and I do believe in win now. You you get what you can to see if you can uh, close the gap. At least in Philly, it's been a, a popular deal. I th- I think the East is gettable. I mean, Degrom's got all kinds of issues. Uh, yeah. you, got, you guys, I mean, I don't know if Kyle Gibson is the answer. Ian Kennedy is going to be nice, but um, I, I think of, of all the teams, I guess, you know, the Yankees are further back, although they are a potential wild card, and all you have to do is make the tournament uh, and you can get to the World Series. But I think that the Phillies probably had the best chance to catch somebody. Here's a good point on the Yankees, and I, and I want to hear from, from you, Rooster, on this, but the Yankees gave up six of their top 30 prospects. Wow. And their playoff odds, listen to this, their playoff odds on fan graphs went from 43% to making the playoffs all the way up to 45%. Wow. But it's it, for, All right, so first of all, the Yankees have an unusually deep farm system right now. I mean, they have 30 good yeah. prospects. That they tells did. you a lot, right? They they have they have about five that are untouchable. Yeah, you kept your top five, and, and, and none of those left the team. Guys like yeah, um, how do you pronounce his name? Yason Dominguez. No one's touching that guy. We didn't give up anyone like him. We also didn't give up any cash, and we desperately, desperately needed left-handed power. We had all right-handed batters. I mean, last episode, I was saying we have a bunch of slow right-handed batters in a park built for left-handed hitters. So we get two great left-handed sluggers, Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, and they're both also defensive upgrades for us. So, and they're, and I think it's Gallo um, is he's going to be playing two years at least. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't just a one-year chase for the wild card. It fixed a huge hole in that lineup. And then Rizzo is he's gone like five for nine in the first got two games, two, two homers, homers in the first two games, and made a you know defensive gem of a play yesterday. So initially, I'm thinking this is great. We're back in the hunt. We were actually making some headway. 
The Red Sox are starting to falter. The, the, the Rays ace got hurt and has to have Tommy John surgery. Sorry, milk. Um, but so then we, and then we go play the Orioles and I'm thinking now we'll just pick up three more wins. And of course they're getting their asses kicked by the Orioles tonight. Um, so who knows, who knows, but, uh, they didn't give up any money. They didn't give up any of the um, prospects they really wanted to protect. And they got two left-handed power hitters who they desperately needed. So I'm generally in favor of their move. And and I think, you know, in, in defense of the giants, they did what they had to do because of what the Dodgers did. The Padres are losers for doing nothing. Okay, but oh, wait a Padres second. Padres are in it's trouble because of Tatis. Tatis wait, wait might be going wait out for a while. On, on Last Thursday, I had the good fortune of seeing uh, at least one Hall of Famer and hopefully two Hall of Famer pitchers go up against each other in Max Scherzer and Zach Wheeler, Phillies Expos. And, uh, and then... A little rain and being down seven nothing forced me to leave lose a, a leave a little early before the, one of the greatest comebacks in baseball history when we beat beat the Expos and extras on a walk off grand slam. But that was the end of the Expos as we know them. We even we have not even had a full Major League Baseball season since they last won a World Series. Last year was just this round robin tournament that the Dodgers right. won, but yeah. the reigning full season. World Series champions are the Washington Expos, and they deconstructed their team in a single day. Don't tell us with a straight face that you're okay with this. Oh, Don't. It, it, no, but it's fascinating that you bring that up, House, because you, you could know, argue they're winners, though, the way they did. They did get prospects. Yeah, I mean, they, they got some they, good prospects. Yeah, yeah but it's going to take them a while to get, to no, get back. So. You know, the, the team they're getting compared to the most around here is the Phillies who won the World Series and then tried to keep the band together for too long and haven't had a winning team since then. So, look, here's the thing. The Yankees were going to play Scherzer $50 million a year at the end of this season, and Scherzer was going to go take it, not because he didn't love Washington, but just because, you know, that that kind of money is only going to come from one or two franchises. Turner was going to probably get, you know, a huge contract, do I love it? No. I was at the game the other night. I'm looking at the lineup, and I'm thinking there's literally one guy in the lineup tonight that I want to watch, Soto. But they pulled the trigger when they needed to. They got a haul of prospects. The guy who pitched tonight, and, and it looks like the Phillies came back and are going to win this game, but the guy who we got and pitched tonight went five innings, gave up four hits, one run, one earned, two walks, two strikeouts, a home run, he had 71 pitches, 47 strikes. I mean, his his numbers were outstanding, and he just walked in and pitched. And, plus, and plus Scherzer could come back next year as a free he agent. Could. He could come back next year. So, I mean, look, you know, it sucks. You know my theory on this. If you're not winning, you're losing, right? If you're not the champion, then nothing else matters. And so the I don't – The Ricky Bobby method. First or last. The season's going by, but the difference between – between us and the Cubs, I think, because the Cubs, you know, they won the World Series in 16 and they just dismantled their team. Mm-hmm. The difference is, I think, that our owners will reinvest in the team. There's going to be a ton of shortstops on the market. Trevor Story didn't move. Right. Uh, you could Why? see him in Washington. That I, was that's a, talk about a loser. I mean, that's that's right. a loser. You are the Rockies. I mean, the Rockies gave up a chance to really reshape that team with 
story and his leverage and that's right and and he's i mean he's not coming back next year they're going to get nothing for him so you know we'll see it sucks but i think it was equally as frustrating watching the team where you thought we won the world series we won the last real world series they had and we couldn't get over 500 i mean we sucked last year during the tournament year and and we couldn't get back to 500 this year so, you know, let's and Strasburg's hurt again. He's probably yeah. never going to be the pitcher he was two years ago. Now, pull the Band-Aid off and, and let's get back to business and, and do it. I'm, a, I'm okay should with it. Should have kept Rendon. You would have had another World Series. Yeah, I don't know. Rendon, Rendon hasn't done it. I mean, he hasn't right. done squat for the A's. He hasn't done anything. He's been hurt, the too. So, um, anyway, I think it's interesting, and, and it's going to be fun, though. I mean, this, this made it – I mean – Teams went for it, the trade deadline, right? I mean, they Hard. really, really went for it. Um, and it's going to be pretty fun. It's particularly, I was saying how when we did our baseball extravaganza, we all said the NL East was going to suck and that we should everyone should watch the NL West, where the Giants were probably uh, going to put on a good show and, and had a really good chance at winning the division. Right. right. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, I remember the I think, exact opposite. I think we don't we need to roll the tape on that one. Well, so anyway, so let's move right along to the next topic. Or how about that. maybe in <laughs> Vegas in Vegas last month or whatever when it was uh, they are not going to make the playoffs because they have right. not one good player on not their team. Not one good player yeah. on their team. Well, as, as somebody I know said, was, no one no one likes a historian. But that yeah, one likes a historian. Like historian. Yeah, that was before they got Chris Bryant. Right. Okay, <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, okay? Hey, wait, one more baseball note. Um, Phelan, I think you pointed out that the NL East were a bunch of morons for letting the Mets uh, draft. Oh, my God. Play this goddamn tape. Rooster, what the fuck were you talking about with How the Mets? The guy was legitimately rated three through ten in the draft the whole time. Uh, how was I supposed to know he had an elbow injury that they were hiding? Come on. That's what our listeners you mean, expect from you is hard. Yeah. Did you sports. see how much, did you see I'd what still, Elise brought to us with the Olympics? You need to bring I that with baseball. I still would have signed him. I still would have signed him because he's going to be good one day. Mark my words. Okay. When we come back to our 500th episode and he's won the Cy Young, you can all freeze my ass. We have sleeves of SMQB on our arms. Hey, wait a minute now. I have have one more baseball story that's kind of funny. You know how we joked about the Cleveland Guardians and, and what a local yokel name that is? Yeah, I love the Guardians. They they failed to like have some intern even take the basic step of checking to make sure clevelandguardians.com was an available domain name. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it is not. It is not. Oh wow! It, wow. It, it along with the rights to the Facebook and Twitter pages is owned by a men's roller derby team. Uh, now they're now they're in trademark litigation with the, with the Cleveland Indians over the Cleveland Guardians. Well, he didn't roller derby. How the stupid sports? can you be? I mean, just how how yeah. how technologically yeah. unsavvy can you be? As maybe a, as Cleveland a can sign. Owner? Maybe Cleveland can sign Kumar Rocker, and they can become the Cleveland Kumar Rockers. <laughs> that, would, that would be better. <laughs> All right, we got a couple more things we got to hit on, but I'm going to force the issue here, and I'm going to mention Formula One racing for one minute. I'm going to take uh, a little privilege here on this. Okay, so 
before we do that, can we thank our supporters, Pirelli, Shell, UPS, and Ferrari? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you guys be- for your sponsorship. <laughs> we have we have room for Tommy John underwear and ZipRecruiter too. So yeah, guys, come on. The Hungarian government's not gonna not gonna be sponsoring us in a minute though. So so a couple oh, just boy. quick notes. The drama's getting high in F1. For the first time in several years, we have Red Bull seems to have a car better than Mercedes. They've been taking it to them until last week. I guess it was last week. It wasn't two weeks ago, right? Right. Two weeks Whatever. ago. Last, last if you race. can't beat them, run them off the track. Right. You can't beat them, run them off the track. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> Sir Lewis Hamilton may have gotten a little, little tight. It looked like card racing, but the end result was Max Verstappen going into the wall um, and out of the race. And Hamilton won the race, uh, inching up behind Verstappen in the world championship chase. Fast forward to this week, uh, the Hungarian Grand Prix, uh, and it starts out in rain. And Sir Lewis Hamilton's teammate, Valerie Botas, uh, who likely will not be on the team next year and is not making friends in any of the garages that he may be hoping to, to participate in next year, like doing his best bowling ball impersonation, took out most of the front runners in the race uh, right at the start of it, including uh, he took out Verstappen. Verstappen was able to get back, but his car was badly damaged. He took out the other Red Bull driver, uh, Sergio Perez, a bunch of other guys, including a young talent, Lando Norris. Leclerc. So Leclerc, the Ferrari driver. I mean, it was carnage, carnage. Uh, at the at the race, we all knew it, and um, it was going to be a mess at the start, partly because of the rain. It was a great race after that. Good for Vettel. And a a a perhaps error in judgment by uh, Hamilton left him after a a red flag stop left him as the only car on the start line after a, after the red flag because everyone else went in to change their tires. They all had the the, the rain tires on, and I don't know if he didn't know what was happening or if he just made a bad call, but bottom line is everybody else went into the pits to put on the Because the sun was coming out. Because the The sun sun was was coming out. Yeah. And Hamilton is sitting. There's a surreal scene. He's the only car at the starting line. Everyone else is in the pits. I I guess they have to wait uh, until he goes and then they can start, but it's basically like a straight line of cars coming out of the, out of the pit lane and it put him behind. He ended up last. And there was even, they cut to the radio at one point. He says, am I last? Like, he didn't even know what happened to him, right? And so he races all the way back, but he can't quite get there. The, the, the point of the story, though, is Sebastian Vettel, who kind of got jerked around a little bit by Ferrari uh, last year. He's a two-time world champion. He ends up, um, am I going to get this wrong? He's with Aston Martin right. uh, this year. That's right. And... And he comes in second. Okay, great race. Just couldn't great track race. down Esteban Ocon from Alpine, who ran a great race. Uh, got his first Grand Prix win, and uh, and and Vettel can't quite get there. Well, everybody who watched after noticed a couple things about Vettel, and that was that he was wearing a rainbow flag mask. He had a rainbow flag on his helmet uh, during the weekend. He was seen with rainbow shoes on and it did sort of raise an eyebrow of what's going on here house why was he wearing the the rainbow stuff so it turns out with this race taking place in hungary um at the hungaro ring well in june of 
2021, the Hungarian government, which is now following a lot of the rest of Europe to being a more kind of right-wing type of government, passed a law that basically outlawed homosexuality for all intents and purposes. Um, And so Sebastian Vettel said, I'm going to demonstrate as an ally for the LGBTQ community that I support them regardless of this law. And I'm going to wear a rainbow shirt, rainbow mask, as you pointed out. And not only that, uh, but after the race, when he was interviewed wearing all that stuff, the stewards of the race called him over to say, you can't be wearing that stuff. You, you can only wear official post-race uniform of your team. Uh, and he said, I don't give a crap. You can find me. Um, which leads to your conspiracy theory, and Bison. He said, in fact, I think he even said, disqualify me. I'll do it again. So what do the stewards do? There's a little known rule. Footnote one of rule 12.2 or whatever it is says that if the stewards ask, a driver has to provide a liter of fuel from their car for a test uh, to make sure they're not putting something in their fuel in their engine. Um, This race was so hard fought and hard raced that the guy literally came in second instead of doing the traditional sort of victory lap around. He literally stopped his car because he was going to run out of gas. And if he ran out of gas, I mean, it is a two and a half mile track. He didn't want to have to walk back, you know, a mile and a quarter. So he stops the car. The stewards say, eh, we want to check your fuel today. Spot check. He's only got 0.3 liters in there. So because he doesn't have a full liter to turn over, F1 racing disqualified him and takes away his second place. And don't tell me that wasn't Formula One racing telling this guy, you don't fuck with the countries that we're in. You play nice by the rules. And damn, if Formula One shouldn't have pulled that race out of Hungary six months ago when that law exactly. passed. Why exactly. Got away with why this? are they kowtowing to Hungary in the first place? And why no one's talking about it, I don't know. So, you know, Sebastian Vettel, good for you, my friend. Uh, do it again. But Formula One, don't think we don't know what's going on, even if Toby thinks I'm, I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist. Cool, cool. That cool, is cool. what happened here. Well, how many other people did they check? One. Fuel. Anyone else? George Russell. Who also stopped his car on the track. And, and was he short fuel too? No, he was not short fuel. No. So, assholes. Come on, man. And with the local DBC news, Evan Kujay with a triumphant comeback. But tonight, don't call it a comeback. Yeah. All right, this is the shortest. We're going to have the shortest punchable face of the week ever because we're running real long on time here. But we can't do an episode without a punchable face of the week. And this goes to one Novak Djokovic dick face. <laughs> one day, this guy is calling out Simone Biles and talking about the pressure, you can't let the pressure get to you. If you want to be a champion, you have to be tougher. You have to get out there. And then he goes out and he loses his semifinal match in the Olympics, launches his racket into the stands at one point, and then 
maybe because the pressure got to him a little bit, he packed up his racket and his balls and he went home. He didn't play in the bronze medal match and he bailed on his doubles partner for their match too. So did you hear that Nadal texted him, chastised him? Oh no. Said you have to behave better than that. There are children watching. You're you're an embarrassment to the sport, basically. Wow. Good yeah. for him. He deserved yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he deserved it. Djokovic, you're a fucking I mean, fucking, you're come fucking. on, guys. It was a layup for him to win the gold medal. There was no competition. I mean, what a choke and what an embarrassment that he yeah. is. Yeah. yeah, we need and to punch had, him in the tennis he, balls. He didn't just he didn't just criticize Simone. He had this condescending. Oh yeah, tweet like pr- pressure is a privilege, my friend. You yeah, better learn right. to deal with it. Yeah, asshole. Asshole. SMQB's I hope your ass goes down. U.S. Open coming up. Yeah. All right, Pope. Let's finish on a high note. Give it to us. Barbecue sauce. <laughs> We talk about the Olympic spirit, guys, and we had a great story this week. If you look past the Simone Biles story, uh, you'll see that Sunisa, and everybody's calling her Suni Lee, uh, was the one who stepped up and won the all-around individual for uh, for the USA. And, you know, she's our next, uh, if we had Wheaties anymore, you know, she'd be the next Wheaties uh, uh, cover person. Um that was such a big deal for young, young Olympians. And the great story about her though, is she's from Minneapolis, St. Paul. She's from the Hmong community and they are a descendant from Laos. Her parents came over to uh, escape persecution after uh, the Vietnam war. Cause the Laotians, the Hmong community in Laos, they actually helped the U S and so they came over here and they have about 70,000 uh, people who are from uh, Laos, the Mongs in uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul. She's the first gymnast uh, from that community. Um, and uh, to make her story even, I guess, uh, more interesting, unfortunately, her father two years ago was paralyzed in an accident. And during COVID, she lost her aunt and her uncle. So she's had an so much uh, adversity. And, uh, you know, we talk about the Ted Lasso being such a great feel-good story. Um, Her ability to overcome that adversity and to uh, shine and win the gold medal, uh, the story, you know, you saw the family, uh, all of the friends and family who were gathered and the family dog and they're, you know, everybody's crying. It was such a great moment. And uh, for that, Sunny Lee, you are my Ted Lasso. But more so than that, we have the Olympic spirit. So let's take it around. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I confess, and I'm, I'm glad that our Olympic expert Elise is on today because Elise brings to the forefront that we need to embrace uh, things that aren't just in the prime time. And we did, as a SMQB pod, give the Olympics a hard time in our last episode. The Not truth all. is. Uh-huh. That's before was, we, we heard about canoeing, though, you know, in, yes, our, exactly. in our defense. <laughs> or the X Games I'm, and the dancing horses. You know, to Pope's point, the truth is Olympics is about, it is about the Olympic spirit, these amateurs that rarely get this one opportunity to shine in something like canoeing or kayaking. And there have been some phenomenal stories, like the story of Saeed Molai, and I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, Saeed, but Saeed Molai is uh, 
a judo competitor at the 81 kilogram, um, I guess, weight class of that judo competition. And Saeed won the silver medal. Saeed um, won the silver medal for Mongolia, but Saeed is not from Mongolia. Saeed is from Iran. But in 2019, Saeed was competing in the 2019 World Championships and was instructed by the Iranian team once he reached the semifinals that he had to lose the match uh, against uh, in the semis against Israel and not even compete against Israel's Sagi Muki. He wasn't even allowed to compete against him because that would require being on the same mat with their hated political rival, Israel, and possibly even having to shake hands. So Saeed was not even allowed to compete. And so after that, Saeed defected. He moved to Germany and then acquired Mongolian citizenship. And the person who really embraced him and supported that him during that time was Sagi Muki, the judo Olympian from Israel who he wasn't allowed to compete against in 2019. Well, this year, Muki didn't do too well. The Israeli judo competitor uh, failed to advance to the finals, but Saeed did advance to the finals. And even though he took just the silver medal, not the gold, when he took the silver medal, what he said was that he dedicated his silver medal to the nation of Israel for supporting him these last two years when he had defected and for the good energy. And he even said in the Hebrew language, Toda, to uh, his friend Sagi Muki. That's a, a great story that very that few is. people know about. Or, a, or after in the, in the high jump, when two Olympians, Gianmarco Tamberi of Italy or Mutaz Barshim of Qatar, both had cleared the bar at seven feet, 9.3 inches. And then they both had to go up to the next bar, seven feet, 10 inches. And both Tamberi and Barshim could not get over after three tries each, seven feet, 10 inches. And when that happens, at that point, there's supposed to be a jump off, dropping the bar back down. But Tamberi asked the official at that time, would it be possible for us to share the gold medal? And Barshim of Qatar right away said, let's do that. The official said, you can do that. They decided to share the gold medal, and they were both embracing and hugging on the track. It was an awesome scene. Or Katie Ledecky, if you heard the audio of Katie Ledecky, who is America's swimming sweetheart, after she lost to what would really be considered her rival, Ariane Titmus from Australia, after she lost, she came over to Ariane and said, you know, you raced great and thank you for pushing me. Like who says that after they lose? Mm -hmm. That's the Olympic spirit. That's what we should really be celebrating. And these Olympians and the Olympic spirit is what's deserving of the Ted Lasso. And let's not forget uh, Victor Axelson, who today won the gold medal in men's badminton, defeating Chen Long from China. Good job, Victor. Wow. Oh, monumental wow. upset. Yeah. Chen Long lost. Denmark with the gold over Chen Long. Shame. Congratulations, Shame. Denmark.
Good show, everybody. Elise, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Elise. Uh, Gold medal for Elise. Gold medal for Elise. Bill, get better soon. We need you back, buddy. Yeah, we do. See you guys. Bye. Bye.